Well, I was talking this morning about how difficult it is sometimes on deciding what the Lord would have you to preach, and uh, I sort of got an example of that, uh, uh, a taste of that, you might say, even today. I thought I was settled on something. I was going to preach about, uh, well, to to kind of explain where I was going uh, I was in Russell Springs, Kentucky years ago. There's a church there. I was at a church called Battlefield Baptist Church. Think about that a little while. Well, I'll talk about that when I preach that sermon, and uh, maybe that'll be next Sunday night. But I absolutely uh, have got something else that the Lord laid on my heart. And, you know, I've noticed... uh, with the passing of years and uh, not just getting older but different experiences and things like that, that all all of a sudden it just seems like that there are particular verses that you you just can't get away from. Every time you turn around, uh, you find yourself thinking of those verses and how they relate to your life. And naturally, it shows through in my preaching, I'm sure, and in comments I make because there's so many times that I make reference to to particular verses. And and that's the case tonight with two of the three verses that I'm going to read in a moment. Hebrews chapter 12, you can be turning there if you'd like. And I want to speak to you tonight on the subject of fixing your focus. Fixing your focus. You know, regardless of what you're doing, you do it better if you're focused. In sports, you have to keep your eye on the ball. You go out there, any little league team, and watch them practice, take hitting practice, and you'll hear the coach telling the the kids, "Keep your eye on the ball." I mean, if you if, look, you you you've got to focus on that ball. Uh, if you're going to hit it. I, and it makes no difference what the sport is. Uh, in the shooting sports, you've got to focus. There's a big debate that goes on about which should be your primary focus, your sights or your target. And to some of you, you might think, well, obviously the target, but that's not necessarily true. You've got to be focused on those sights if you're shooting a pistol, for example, you absolutely have to focus on them and let the other focus be sort of sort of a blur. You know you're on it, but your primary focus is getting those sights aligned right. And it doesn't make any difference what else you do. If you get that wrong, everything else is wrong. And, and the same thing's true in just about everything we do in life. And... Uh, if you're cooking something, you better be focused on the ingredients. You, know? you, you can't just decide, well, I'm going to bake a cake, and I, I know that it needs this and this and that, and I'll, I'll just put in a handful of each or something. Uh, You've you got to focus on the, how much you put in. I know Grandma, the way Grandma used to do it, you know, you know, she knew just a pinch of salt and a little bit of this and a dash of that, and it looked like that she wasn't measuring anything, but believe me, she was. She knew just exactly how much of what to put in in order to make it turn out right. Well, when it comes to our life, 
which is more important than sports or baking a cake or shooting a gun or anything else we do. We're talking about life now. If our focus is wrong, then we're going to end up in trouble because how you finish will be determined by where you fix your focus. Now, keep that in mind. How you finish is determined by where you fix your focus. If it's on the wrong thing, uh, it's going to turn out wrong. Your outlook determines the outcome. And as Christians, it's very clear where our focus ought to be. I want to read these first three verses of Hebrews chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that uh, endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be uh, wearied and faint in your minds. Now, there are two key phrases here that I want you to think about tonight, and that is verse 2, where he says, Looking unto Jesus. And verse 3, where he says here that we are to consider Jesus. Now, as you know, there are a lot of things in life calling for our attention. And if we're not careful, after a while, life just becomes a blur because we want to look at this and we want to look at that, you know. And, and so after a while, we watch the news and we're all bent out of shape because of the political landscape and uh, we're worried about North Korea and this and that and the other. And then we decide, well, I've got to relax. So we turn on the ball game and we lose 10 to 3. And so now we're in a in a bad mood about that. And uh, <laughs> I knew I'd get an amen out of Brother Ron. Uh, but that, that's what I'm talking about. There's so many different things we can focus on. You know, as parents, we focus on our children. As grandparents, we focus on our grandkids uh, a lot of times, you know, and uh, whether they realize it or not, we, we have a very deep concern about them and their welfare. And so we're thinking about that. We think about the church and all of these different things. Now, what do we do? What do we do? How do we fix our focus so that we know that we're not going to get off track and that our outlook will determine a proper outcome. Well, the Bible tells us, and, and, and there's a lot of different ways to approach this, but here in these, in these two verses especially, I believe we learn a lot about how we can fix our focus. The first thing we need to do is be resolute in our direction. Now, by resolute, I'm talking about being purpose, purposeful or determined or unwavering, uh, unwavering. And, and having your, your focus fixed, resolving in your heart that this is the direction I'm going to go. And if we're going to, if we're going to faithfully follow the Lord Jesus Christ, we can't go in any direction that we desire and we can't be half-hearted about it. It takes all that we got in order to follow him as we ought to. Notice verse 1 where he likens the Christian life to a race. 
Now, I've, in fact, preached an entire series uh, from these first three verses and really focused in on verse number one, where he talks about our life being like a race. Now, I've got to tell you, I've never been interested in running. It goes all the way back to whenever I was in school, and, and I, I, I would never be a jogger. I'd never run in a marathon. I'd... Uh, if you know, if you see me running, you better run too, because you know something's after me. You see something bad. So I just don't enjoy running. But when it comes to the Christian life, there's a great analogy here, and uh, and we need to think about it. N- notice notice how he phrases this. He says the race. Now here's the key that is set before us. Set before us. In other words, it's not for me and you to decide the direction that we'll take. You know, somebody could just say, well, you know, I want to serve the Lord. And and I've decided what I would really like to do is I I think I'd like to be a preacher. Or, or, you know, I think I'd like to be a Sunday school teacher. I, I want to be a missionary. You know, I, I, you know. After all, I I want to travel the world and see the sights and so forth. And I I just think that'd be a great thing. Be a missionary. Go over there, you know. And uh, yeah, well, you might change your mind, you know, if you had to live the life of a missionary. That's not for you to decide. Amen. You see, that's designated by God. We're never free to decide based on what's pleasurable to us, profitable for us, or popular even. Just because somebody else is doing it. Somebody, you know, in the business world, sometimes someone will go into a particular field and and maybe they're very successful at it. And so somebody else will see that and they think, you know, I I think it's what I want to do because I want to make all that all that money. I had a had a youth director several years ago and uh he came to me one day, and he was determined. He was selling Amway, and he was determined that he wanted to be a millionaire by the time that he was 30. And, boy, he devoted everything, you know, to that. Well, it didn't work out that way. Thank God that it didn't, but it really messed his focus up for a long time. As the youth, as the youth leader there in the church we had a youth choir that sang all over the all, all over the nation. They sang in Washington D.C. They come to missions conferences all uh, down here in Texas and different places. I mean, uh, the best youth choir I've ever heard in my life. They were fantastic, and he got his focus on something else other than that. But thank God, later on he got his focus right, and he's pastoring up in Oklahoma. Last I heard, now, and so I thank God for that. But I'm just telling you, look, you can't do something just based on the fact that you think it'll be the profitable thing to do, or the pleasurable thing to do, or, or because it's popular with everybody else. You see, God is the one that prescribes the course. It says the race that is set before us when it comes to me i remember the day very clearly it was about midnight in fact whenever the lord spoke to my heart and it happened to be at a time that bev and i and my pastor and his wife we were all kneeling in prayer and whenever it came my time to pray all of a sudden it's like god got a death grip on me 
and I couldn't even pray. And finally, after a long pause, I just turned to my pastor and I said, God is calling me to preach. And I didn't have any doubt about it. I didn't see any lightning. I didn't hear any thunder. I didn't hear any voices. But God made it perfectly clear that this is the race that I have set before you. It's not always been easy. There have been some tough times. There have been times whenever I needed in some way maybe supplement my income because I wondered how in the world am I going to make it. I had preacher friends that begged me to sell insurance or to buy rental properties. They were doing that, and it was quite lucrative. Or uh, uh, antique cars and things like that. And said, look, I mean, you've got to take care of your family. You, you can't depend on the church to take care of you and, uh, and so forth. And, and by the way, the, where I was pastoring at the time, they were doing all they could, but it was almost nothing. I mean, they couldn't help it. They didn't have hardly anything to give me, just a little handful of people out there on a hillside in the Ozarks, and uh, uh, they were doing all they could do. But I resolved in my heart, that if I'm going to run this race that God has set before me, I can't allow myself to get sidetracked on other things. I, I can't get my focus off on those things. And you've heard me tell the story about the, I had a bird dog. I, quail hunting was my favorite sport. I loved it. And, and, and a good bird dog, I'm telling you what, is absolutely amazing. I always wanted one, finally got one. And the Lord called me to preach. And I decided I can't do this. I cannot focus on preaching and think about going quail hunting or playing ball or anything else. And, and look, I realize that God didn't call everybody here to preach. I understand that. But I can promise you that God has set before you a course, a race. There is a ministry of some sort. God wants to use your life in some way. And, and, and it doesn't make what you do less important than what I do. You know, I'm, the, I'm, I'm a pastor of a church, but by the way, that's what God set before me. Some of you are deacons, some of you are officers, some of you are teachers. God uses some of you in different ways. You may not have a title. You may not have an office. Or, or any responsibility in that way. But God has a plan for each and every one of us. Don't ever think of yourself as being a nobody because God takes nobodies and makes somebodies out of them, you see. God wants to use you. And this is not something we do occasionally. It's not something we do, you know, only when it's convenient. Well, you know, I, I, I've got a little extra time. I think I'll do this or that. If we're going to do a good job at whatever we do, it takes our focus being there all of the time. And we've got to resolve in our heart. And that's why I'm starting here. We've got to resolve in our heart and commit ourselves to this particular course that God has set before us. That's where our focus has to be. Another thing, if we're going to fix our focus and keep it there, we have to realize the danger involved. You see, if we lose our focus, the outcome is predictable. 
I remember going off of Interstate 44 between Springfield and St. Louis years ago in a 56 Ford uh, station wagon and uh, not paying attention to what I was doing. I was sleepy, uh, probably had a hangover, and I woke up in the air going off of a big fill and hit the ground, blew out all four tires, and thank God I didn't turn over anything, but... Uh, the fact of the matter is I lost my focus on what I was doing. If you're driving, you can't afford to lose your focus. Bad things happen. It might not be a wreck out on the highway, but it'll be a wreck in your life when you lose your focus from what God wants you to do. And that's something we've got to always keep before us, thinking about the danger that we put ourselves in. And look, I'm talking about Christians now even. I'm talking about those of you that are Christians. You know the Lord. Your sins have been forgiven. Yeah, you're going to go to heaven when you die. But before you get there, let me tell you, you can go through a whole lot of suffering and pain. You don't believe it? Look at verse number 5. And remember, we're talking about realizing the danger of losing your focus now. And he says, and, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards, that is, you're illegitimate, and not sons. In other words, you're not truly a child of God. If you can sin against God, and, and you know, and, and it, it, it appears that you're getting by with it, you know. Uh, nothing bad ever happens. Uh, you, you can just mark it down. You've never really been saved because God does not allow His children to sin successfully. Yeah. Somebody out here that is unsaved, they can get by with something that you can't get by with. Now, when I say get by with it, you know, their payday is coming someday in the judgment. They're going to have to pay for their sins then. But that's not the case. With those of us that have been saved, our sins have been forgiven. Isn't that wonderful? Your sins have been forgiven. You'll never have to face your sins again. They're underneath the blood, as the song says. God says, I've separated your sins as far as the east is from the west. Cast them into the depths of the sea. Put them behind my back to remember them no more. You don't have to worry about answering for your sins, past, present, or future. That's all taken care of in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you see. But as a child of God, here you have the promise of God telling you when you sin against God, that is when you get off course, when you lose your focus, when you rebel against God's will, he has promised he's going to chastise you. And notice that little word, all. He said, all are partakers. There are no exceptions to that. You know, we can look around and say, well, you know, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm a better Christian than anybody else in this room. Well, you let, that might be. That might be. But that's still not going to get you out of being chastened by the Lord. And by the way, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up and I got a spanking, it always hurt. By the way, if it doesn't hurt, 
it doesn't do any good. You know, I, it, it, you know, it'd be funny if it wasn't so serious to watch some of these parents whenever they give their kids a spanking and a little peck and a little, you know, and all you're doing is irritating them, you know. And what, what, I mean, if you're going to spank them, give them a good one, one they'll remember. Amen. Amen. Of course, you do spank your kids, don't you? Amen. Or you've been listening to Dr. Phil. Because <laughs> Dr. Phil tell you you shouldn't do that. Well, Dr. Phil ain't God. And the Bible tells us that we ought to. And God is the, is the perfect parent. And let me tell you, when we rebel against God, we're going to get hurt. You know, I, I've often said and used as an illustration, I could, I could say, you know, God called me to preach, but I, man, I love the Ozarks. You know, I love, I, I lived in Branson and Forsyth there for a little while and worked on the highway. And, and I could say, and, and by the way, I could, I, the church is there, I could have pastored. And I could become a pastor in a church there in that area. And, and, and I could have argued with the Lord, well, I'm doing what you told me to do. You wanted me to surrender to preach, and that's what I've done. You want me to be a pastor, and I'm a pastor, you see. But I can't just do what God wants me to do where I want to do it. The course that is set before me is determined by the Lord and God's plan was for me, if I'm going to be in His will, it's for me to be where I'm at. The same thing's true of you. You know, every one of us ought to feel exactly the same way about our relationship to the Lord's church. We need to feel just that strongly about it. This is where God wants me to be. That's why it thrills my heart to hear Brother Scott. Now, here he is going to go off to Georgia to get a kidney transplant. He's already paid up here on an apartment so he can come back here. I mean, if he's determined he's not going to leave this church because this is the church that God put him in, a church he's a part of. This is a part of God's plan for his life. And we all ought to feel that way. And the reason some folks are so wishy-washy, you know, they're here today and gone tomorrow and what have you, is because they have never made that firm commitment to the, to the church where God placed them. You know, whenever, uh, of course, I didn't know anything about marriage whenever I got married. I, I didn't. I didn't know anything about it whatsoever. I didn't know anything about raising kids. I had a lot, of, a lot of theories about it, you know, but I mean, I really didn't know how to do it. You just kind of learn as you go. But I'll tell you what, you don't remain married over half of a century to somebody if you don't learn how to deal with your differences. Because let me tell you right now, I, I, I remember talking to, happened to be one of our, used to be a deacon in the church here, and said, me and my wife never had an argument and I told him, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Uh, I mean, you're, look, you're always going to have some disagreements. You're never going to always see things uh, exactly the same. And you've got to learn how to, to stay on course and to keep your focus where it needs to be regardless of what's going on in your life. So realize the danger of losing your focus. 
several years ago, I, Bev and I was coming back from a late night ball game and driving into Forsyth, Missouri there in the little old windy roads. And all of a sudden I went, I really, I, I was prone to go to sleep driving. Uh, and so is Brother Ron, but he gets Peggy to drive, but I wouldn't do that. And so I woke up whenever I heard the wheels hit the gravel on the shoulder. And soon as I did, I yanked the wheel and I was inches away from some poor woman walking down the highway. I mean, just a little bit more, and I'd have flat dab run over that poor woman and probably killed her. Why? Losing my focus. Don't do that. You're going to end up getting hurt. You might end up hurting somebody else. The next thing we've got to do is to refuse any distractions along the way. You know, most people don't lose their focus because they shut their eyes. They don't just decide, you know... Well, it doesn't really make any difference whether I pay any attention or not. I'm going down the highway 70 miles an hour. I think I'll just shut my eyes for a while. We don't do that. What happens is we fail because we shift our focus to something else, you see. And, and whether that's in the business world or whatever it is, we don't just, just intentionally not pay attention it's that we get our eyes on something else. And by the way, there's always something trying to distract us. You can't get away from that. It's with you all of the time. And those distractions can vary greatly. It might be problems in your life. Boy, I'll tell you, they can do a number on you. Amen. And I know we can read Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord or the called according to His purpose. And so I know I'm going through these problems, but God's going to use them for some good. But, you know, after a while, if we're not careful, all we're doing is our time, our thoughts are consumed because we're focused on our problems. It might, look, the problem might be the problem of pain, well, pain has a way of really getting your attention. And I, I mean, I'm experiencing that right now and have been for a month or so. And, uh, and some of you have pain of different sorts and pain can get your attention. And the sad thing is it can shift your focus off of what's really important to after a while. All you're thinking about is your pain. Now, I know you're thinking, well, yeah, but whenever you hurt so bad, you can't help but think about it. Well, that's absolutely right. You're going to be thinking about it, but it does not have to be your central focal point. It's obvious that you can't just, you know, think, well, you know, I'm going to get rid of this pain by not thinking about it. That doesn't work. If you've got a migraine headache, you're going to have a migraine headache regardless of what you think. You know, it's going to be there. If you've got an abscessed tooth, it's going to be there. But you can't just sit around 24 hours a day, uh, uh, you know, saying, poor me, I've got an abscessed tooth, and that's all you think about. It might not be pain. It might not be problems. It might be politics. Boy, it's real easy for us to get our focus off on politics. 
and, and, and you know, start thinking, well, I've got to save, I've got to save America. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Look, I believe all of us ought to be interested in politics. I believe we all ought to vote. I believe it makes a difference who you vote for. We ought to be concerned about that. But there's much, much more to life than politics. It might be pleasures of some sort. And we get our attention diverted over into some pleasure. It might be possessions. It might be people. Wow. And so many times that we get our eyes on somebody else. What they have or what they did or what they're doing. And we get to thinking about them so much that we lose our focus on what we ought to be doing. Now, obviously... Whenever somebody, for example, somebody that maybe you care about, you see them about to make a wreck out of their life. You see them headed for disaster. You see them out of the will of God. They're doing everything wrong and nothing right. And it's easy for you to get your focus over on them to where you forget about doing what you ought to be doing. It might be they offended you in some way. It Look, it might be that you were treated very unjust someone did you wrong and there's no question about that it was horrible the way they treated you i want to tell you you're not going to change anything by allowing your thoughts to be consumed with their injustice for the rest of your life there are some people that are consumed with bitterness and it's been going on for years and years and years something that happened to them years ago and it's still just about all they think about every day. It's on their mind. How could they have done this to me, you know? Well, if you're, look, if you're going to get ahead where you are and run the race God has set before you, you can't focus on those people. They hurt you one time. You can't let them control you for the rest of your life. You can't allow your happiness to depend on what they do or what they don't do. Amen. And so many times we do that. We think, well, I'd, just, I'd really be happy if so-and-so would do this or if they'd do that, I, I'd be happy. Well, look, they might never do the right thing. I mean, your wife or your husband can leave you tomorrow. Your kids can run away from home. And you cannot allow their wrongdoing to dictate whether you're going to experience the joy of the Lord or whether you're going to crawl up in the corner and suck your thumb and feel sorry for yourself. You just can't do that. You need to keep your focus where it ought to be and refuse those distractions. Going right hand in hand with that is that we need to restrain our desires. That I'm talking about putting limitations upon our desires, and I'm talking about restraining them in the sense that we don't allow them to control us. So let me tell you, desires can be powerful, and that struggle is lifelong, and that's why, that's why I use the word that if we're going to fix our focus, we've got to be restraining our desires. In other words, it's a lifelong process. It's not something you do one time. You know, the Bible talks about whenever Jesus said, you know, if you're going to be my disciple, you know, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, he said, you've got to deny yourself. And, and you know, our old flesh doesn't like that. Deny ourselves. So I, 
hey, I, I thought it was all about fulfilling myself, you know, finding something that will really satisfy me and, and, and just vent my feelings and give in to my desires. But we've got to do just the opposite if we're going to run the race God has for us. Not something you do one time, but the Lord said it's something we do daily. Remember he talked about daily taking up your cross and following him. Things that we have to keep doing. Our desires don't just go away when we get saved. After we've been redeemed, we have to retain our desires because they remain in us. There's a part of our old nature. Even though a Christian becomes a new person, God puts His Spirit within them. They become a person they've never been before. They're a new person. But there are the vestiges, that is the leftovers of that old sinful nature that remains in them. If you like pizza before you got saved, you're probably going to like pizza after you get saved. You see what I'm saying? Those desires remain within you, and the Bible gives us numerous warnings about, uh, about the desires of our heart and denying ourselves. Notice verse number 1. There's something really important here. He's talking about running the race that is set before us, and he tells us here that we are to put aside, notice, the sin which has so easily beset us the sin that would so easily beset us. When we do something contrary to the will of God, when we forget about the danger of getting out of God's will, we do something that violates God's principles, something that is in rebellion to God's will, all of a sudden we're going to find ourselves off course. We're going to be in trouble. He said, put away the sin. But that's not all he said. He said, and laying aside every weight every weight now you see that's that's not talking about sin a weight is something you know that will drag you down something that will hold you back something that will limit what you're able to do that's why you don't see people out here running the hundred yard dash with a sack of potatoes on their shoulder uh, that, you know that's why you don't see them out here with those big heavy weight belts that they wear in training they take all of that stuff off. They put on their tennis shoes, and they're the lightest possible tennis shoes. They lay aside every weight. And if we're going to restrain our desires, then we have to lay aside those weights in our life. You see, that's why I keep saying sinless things can become sinful. Things that in and of themselves, there's nothing in the world wrong with it. Nothing. I, I enjoy fishing. I hadn't been in nine years, but uh, uh, I, I enjoy fishing. Wouldn't be a thing in the world wrong if I decided, well, I'm going fishing tomorrow. Nothing wrong with that at all. But there'd be something wrong if I decided, I, you know, I like fishing so much, I'm going to go every day next week. And I like it so much, I'm going to do that every week, you know. Oh, they're really biting, so that's, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, Monday through Fridays, I'm going to fish every week. You see, something that is sinless becomes sinful. It doesn't have to be fishing. It can be absolutely 
anything that your mind can imagine, anything that sidetracks you, anything that draws your attention away from what God wants you to be doing. It might be might be overly concerned about your business or whatever it is. And after a while, we get our attention off on something else to the point that we lose sight of the of the race that is set before us. So we have to restrain our desires. Let me tell you something else. You can't do that on your own. There are none of us that has the power to resist the, the, the strong desires that we have. That's why we need God's help in doing that. That's why the Bible talks with Paul when speaking to the Galatians there. And he said, if you'll walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the deeds of the flesh. And that's the only way to be successful. The only way for us to overcome the desires of the flesh is for us to give our, the control of our life over to the Holy Spirit. But then there's something else that I want to mention before I'm through. And... Um, I don't know, this might be the toughest part of all, and that is we have to resist discouragement. And I don't want you to ever underestimate the importance of that. One famous preacher, I believe it was Bob Jones Sr. many years ago, said, I've never known God to use a discouraged person. Well, you know, I don't know if that's 100% true or not, but I'll tell you what, there's nothing in the world to take the wind out of your sails any quicker than getting discouraged. Have you ever thought about what a terrible testimony a discouraged Christian is? Think about that a little while. We're supposed to have a peace that passeth all understanding and joy unspeakable and full of glory. We're supposed to radiate to others our confidence in God that he's going to take care of us instead of sitting around and wringing our hands and worrying about everything under the sun. And whenever others don't see that in us, you probably know people like this. And, 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 and it's just... If somebody said, uh, what is the number one characteristic of so-and-so? And it might be you'd say, well, I'll tell you what, the thing I notice more than anything is they're constantly worrying about something, always worried about something. There are people like that. I hope you're not one of them. And if you are, you need to make some changes. I want you to notice, look in verse number 12. We're still in, first, in, in Hebrews 12, but I want you to notice what he says beginning in verse number 12 here, he says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Now remember, he's still talking to the same people that he was talking to when he said that you ought to run the race that is set before you. And so this has to do with how we run that race. Lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up, uh, springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. It's very clear that he's letting us know that our attitude, 
whether it's an attitude of bitterness that we have, that, that root of bitterness that is within us, that old sire bitter attitude and, and, and our worrisome spirit, you know, and our heads hanging down, our hands are hanging down. There's no spring in our step, no joy in our heart. No, and, and other people see that, and, and as a result of that, it, it inhibits our ability to communicate the wonderful things of God to them. In other words, it makes the glorious gospel repulsive to them. Why in the world would they want what you got when you're so miserable with it? You know, they look at you and they think, man, I don't want what they got. I, I'm miserable enough without having that, you see. And they start looking on Christianity as though it was some kind of a disease that we have. And, and you know, they'd rather avoid that. And you, you can't hardly blame them, you know. We... And maybe maybe you heard the, the the joke about the distraught person, you know, that was pictured with his head, and I think this was in a cartoon or something, that his head in his hands, and he was worried, and, and he said this. He said, as soon as this day is over, I'm having a nervous breakdown. I've worked for it. I deserve it, and no one's going to keep me from it. Maybe you felt that way, right? I mean, you're just coming unraveled. You're coming apart at the seams. All of these problems and troubles and, you know, and every time you turn around, there's so much to do that you can't get it all done. And after a while, after a while, you, even when you're trying your best, you get tired of trying to be strong. You get tired of holding back your true feelings. You know, you know, I can't make a fool out of myself and just say whatever I feel like saying, but I got to tell you, there's sometimes when you're really discouraged that that's what you feel like doing. You just feel like unloading on the world, you know, and saying whatever it is on your heart and just don't hold back anything. And, and the thing of it is, our difficulties cause us to feel justified in feeling depressed and expressing that, you know, just look at the problems I got. If you, uh, nobody knows the trouble I've, you know what I mean? And, and let me tell you something. All of us can find ourselves in that place where we we are on overload. There, we're, we're trouble. Our health might be bad. Our our friends have turned against us. Everything is going wrong. We didn't get that promotion at work. Everything is wrong, and all of a sudden we're depressed and we feel so justified in feeling that way, and we get all wrapped up in our problem to where we forget about our God-given mission. It happened to some of the greatest prophets in the history of this world. Some of the greatest servants of God that ever lived found themselves in a pit of depression. That's why I'm telling you, it can happen to you. It, By the way, it probably has happened to you. And, and you've had to fight your way out of that horrible, dark pit of depression. But it might be that somebody's still there. And there might be some of you that are just on the edge of it. You're about to go overboard and fall into that pit because right now all you can think about is all the problems that you've got. 
and you keep thinking about that until you're on an emotional overload to the point that after a while it's going to consume you and you'll find yourself in a state of depression. I want to remind you what I said earlier about realizing the danger because when we lose our focus, the outcome is predictable. Bad things happen. And that's always true. And there's no reason for any of us. Now, we can be, look, we can be disappointed. You know, I, I, it disappoints me whenever we don't have people saved in the service. It disappoints me when the attendance keeps going down and stuff like that. Things like that disappoint me. It disappoints me because I don't feel good. I, I don't want to feel this way. But it's one thing to be disappointed. It's another thing to get depressed and discouraged. That's when the danger sets in. We get discouraged as a result of things not turning out as they ought to or as we think that they should. And so when we lose our focus, we're in dangerous territory, and we got to do whatever we must do to regain our focus. That's, that's not always easy, folks, because it's something you have to do intentional. It generally, it doesn't just happen. Sometimes we think, you know, I've been fighting this depression now for a week or two or whatever, and, and you know, I, I, boy, I think the only thing that's going to help me is just to be able to uh, just kind of get away from it all for a while, and, you know, and so we try that, or maybe we take a staycation or whatever it is, and we find ourselves in the same, same condition. We got to take steps to get out of that pit of depression. So how do you do that? Looking unto Jesus. Looking. In, in other words, you have got to shift your focus from whatever you're looking at, looking to Him. But what does that mean, looking to Him? Because we can't see Him face to face, right? He's not visible. Looking unto Jesus. How am I going to look unto Jesus? Well, if I'm going to look unto Jesus, I've got to look unto Him as He is revealed in the Word of God. And whenever I look at Him, I look, for example, I look at, let's say, His attributes. I think about the fact and I focus on the fact that God is a God of love. And I think about that. Or I think about the fact that one of his other attributes is God is faithful. And I get to focusing on that. And when he makes a promise that he can't lie. And so I intentionally focus on those things. Let me close by giving you a section of scripture that I think will really, really help you in this regard. It'll help you to fix your focus on Jesus, to consider him. Philippians chapter number 4. Rejoice. This is verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Tim and I was talking earlier before the service, and we was talking about this matter of rejoicing and I talked about it a little bit in the message this morning, but it's so amazing to me that we who have been forgiven of all of our sins, we who are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, promised a home in heaven, 
We who have so much that for some reason or another we allow ourselves to get in such a state that we can't even rejoice when we're singing Amazing Grace. Oh, we sing the words, but there's no real joy in our heart. And th- Folks, this is a command. Rejoice in the Lord. You say, well, I don't feel like doing it. Well, you need to learn how to do it. Rejoice in the Lord. And then notice he says, and again I say rejoice. He said it twice. But he doesn't stop there. He said, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, here we go. Be careful for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Don't sweat it. Don't worry about it. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to notice very carefully what he says next because it relates to what I've been talking about, looking unto Jesus, considering who he is and what he has done. And he says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, lovely, of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things and those things, he says, that you've heard and learned and received of me, he said, that, that you do these things and the God of peace shall be with you. Now, I've in, in my Bible, I've underlined true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report. Think on these things, he said. And, and I know you've heard me say it before. I don't know whether you got the message or not. But I've said it over and over again. Those things, whenever you look at each one of them, you know what that is? That's a picture of Christ. Each one of those things represent Him in some way. It is an expression of who He is. And so whenever you start doing this, you are looking unto Jesus, as it were. And i got to tell you, there's nothing in all of the world more encouraging and keeping your focus on Christ. And that's why going back to our text, and he's talking about hardships. Notice he said, Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. That's a pretty good description of somebody that's depressed and about to give up, right? And he says here that when we're going through our difficulties, When life gets hard for us, we need to think about what he went through. We need to consider him, consider his suffering. And whenever we start looking at what he went through, what he did for us, all of a sudden the magnitude of our problems begin to shrink down to to nothing because none of us have ever suffered like Jesus did. I mean, he paid the ultimate price for you and for me. And how can you be discouraged whenever you think about all that the Lord has done for you? You show me somebody's discouraged, and I'll show you somebody that has lost their focus. It's no longer fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's no longer fixed on what God wants them to do. Everything is a blur in their life. You lose your focus. The outcome's what? 
I've already said it twice. What was it? Predictable. You lose your focus, the outlook is predictable, and bad things happen, you see. God wants the best for each and every one of his children. We raised eight children, and there's never been a time that I didn't want the best for them. Might not always be what they wanted, because they might have thought, you know, something else would be better, but I wanted what was best for them. And God's a better parent than than you and I. He wants what's best for you. And, and let me tell you right now, the best thing for you as a child of God is to be in the will of God, to have your focus on what He would have you to do. Run that race. And you've got to focus down there on the finish line. Amen? You can't be looking out here and over there. You've got to keep your focus on where you're going. Amen? Let's all bow our heads together. Father, how we thank you for including us in your plan for your kingdom. Heavenly Father, we could think of ourselves as just merely being subjects of your kingdom, thinking about ourselves as just being your servants and doing whatever it is that you bid us to do, but but Lord, it's such a great thrill in our heart to realize that each and every child of God plays an important role in what you're doing in this world. And Lord, I pray tonight that you'll help us to not lose our focus on what is really important. And I pray especially for those that might be here tonight that have never received Christ as their Savior. And they don't realize any real purpose in life. For them, it's all about eating and sleeping and playing and working and just all of those ordinary things. And Lord, I pray that you'll help them to see that there's much, much more to life than that. Help them to realize that you have a perfect plan for each and every one of them. And it starts with them becoming a child of God by trusting Christ as their Lord and Savior. So have your will in each of our lives tonight. And if someone is here that has lost their focus, I pray tonight that you might help them commit to doing whatever it takes to regain their focus, that they might run the race that is set before them and win the prize that you've promised. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Let's stand.